Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and tonight's episode, number 52, is 20 questions, where we're going to be answering those questions that have been sitting burning holes in our mailbag, and also questions that we specifically asked via social media that you wanted answered. So, sitting in with me, as always, is Mr. Brian P. Miles. How are you doing tonight, Brian? Greetings and salutations from Philadelphia, a city where far more of the scenes in American Adventure are set than any other. <laughs> you got a dominant factor there, don't you? It's a little dominant. Absolutely. <laughs> and coming to us from the rubber city capital, Mr. J.T. Couser. How are you doing tonight, J.T.? I am great. Uh, I, I had a, a mission. Oh. I've been meaning to stop when I haven't had the kids to see if... You had a mission re- problems? No, I, I had a mission for myself. I'm going to do it, and I will let everybody know if the speed ramps are still in the old Goodyear World headquarters. And oh, I, every time I drive by, yeah. I'm like, I got to pull over. They're putting an ice cream stand in there, some other stuff. You know, I got to see if it's still there. So, all right, it's going to be soon. All right, good. We'll have a speed ramp update. And coming in from Tampa, not battening down the hatches this year just yet, but uh, still in the maybe eventual wake of a little bit of rain and wind coming your way mr how bowers in tampa hey aloha everybody and yes by time this by time this airs i'll either be alive or dead so <laughs> well well this is a crapshoot that's literally true of all of us <laughs> that's true yeah, that's yeah. true uh last year at this time yeah you had to evacuate to higher ground so uh hoping all he's gonna hunker to go down well. this year yeah we're just waiting it's, to see stay, what happens stay put well it's coming from the other side not as bad to, exactly so. we may we'll have the amount of rain that we normally have this time of year maybe we'll see and you know sorry sorry for those of you that are listening that may have been devastated by the storm that's going to happen my apologies but we'll probably be sitting pretty we laugh in the face of tragedy, Tal. That's how we that's how we cope with it. And Todd, you even though you don't do your own kind of greeting for these things, I mean, you're recording remotely tonight from I, an undisclosed location. I am. I, I am hunkered down in a uh, remote location in northern New Hampshire. Otherwise. Are you with Dick Cheney? <laughs> Camp David. Camp David. It is our lake house up in uh, northern New Hampshire, so we're up here for which, the Labor Day Which weekend. you can rent, by the way. Yes. He can give you the rental information if yeah, you're you can. If you want to rent the retro WDW uh, northern headquarters, it's uh, twinpinechalet.com, so you can oh. check that out. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, though, is like, would, would, would there be any remnants of a, of a McCartney there? Like, if I'm a super fan of the show, <laughs> would I know it was if you? If you know, I there. think we can certainly leave leave something for the oh, fans. Oh, so. some, some secret fan? Yeah, we can. Okay. We, yeah. Like geocaching. But. That's right. Exactly. If you I'm picturing the Stranger Things where he's leaving the egos in the woods. Like Todd leaves some old ephemera out in a box. And... 
There's a topical <gasps> reference that uh, someone listening 30 years from now be like, what was he talking what about? Is he yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, all right. Well, we've got a lot to go over. And this episode is is really to the listener. So uh, questions that you've got and uh, different corrections coming in. So as always, we're going to start with corrections. We'll hit listener mail and then get to the main topic, which is even more questions from you guys, the listener. So uh, we have our first anonymous source, which is fantastic. I um, wish we could like blur their faces and do the twenty twenty. Yeah. So, so they were. This person was kind of pointing out a couple of interesting things about some of our pieces. Go on and listen to our backlog of of older episodes and uh, had some notes that he gave me. Uh, so here's one thing we were talking about: the third floor of the contemporary, and mm-hmm. like what the heck is on that thing? And we talked about the gym and some offices, but the thing that we completely missed is that. The third floor of the contemporary actually houses the bathrooms for Chef Mickey's. And, and I've never eaten there, so I didn't realize that. I, yeah, I've never eaten there. Now, wait a second. They shepherd you, you up there if you got to... See, that's the thing I was wondering. I was just there. I mean, like, um, you know, a month ago. You you get a, you take the elevator to the third floor. You're there. You wander. It dead ends. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I hooked to right, and I passed these offices. I got stopped by somebody saying, do you need help? I was like, nah, I just wandered. And that was it. Like I didn't. There was nowhere else to go. So I don't know. Maybe it's on the third it must floor, be a, but it's a separate, separate corridor. It's got to be. Yeah, yeah. So it's accessed from the fourth floor. So if you're in Chef Mickey's and you walk towards the window, like of the like out where that little oh, thing is, yeah. that was Kokino Cove. Cove. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And you go to the right. There is these signs that say bathrooms downstairs, and you go down a set of stairs. Like it's some sort of janky like 1960s restaurant, and it's the, the rest 1960s <laughs> restaurant, and the bathrooms are there. So I th- that was that I thought that was absolutely fascinating. So, so that, that I have to explain that reference. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen hosted Saturday Night Live in like 1990 or 91, and one of the skits was the 1960s movie. And it started, it's the 1960s movie. It's the movie from two decades ago. They all had weird, wacky theme songs and titles like these. And the whole skit was a a spoof of the zany 1960s comedies. So I highly recommend finding the Leslie Nielsen, probably promoting Naked Gun two and a half. Yeah, uh, I was wondering what the promotion was. On Saturday Night Live. So there's, there's your non sequitur. Excellent. So you go down uh, steps to go to the bathroom. At- yeah, tell us yeah. more about this, Hal. Yeah, so I don't, next time we're going to go. Yeah. We're going to have to make a pilgrimage. When you have to go, we're going to go. Yeah, so. so I'll just bust through there anyways. Do you have reservations? You don't, no, you, no, you don't thank have, you. You just look like you ran out for something and you... <laughs> Like that's walk, true. Walk by the host stand. I mean, they're not. It's not the Secret Service. They're not going <laughs> to no. tackle you. You put your if head you, down. You act yeah, like you, if know you look what you're like doing, you know what you're doing. Stops you. Sorry. Can I, I don't have to get a clipboard. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to get a clipboard and a short haircut and a name tag nope. and yeah. You, you uh, slide into that bathroom like a chest of drawers. I, I also have something. <laughs> I also have something secret that I think we'll eventually reveal about the contemporary. I haven't told you guys yet, but I got oh, something. Oh, wow. I got something up on my Yeah. All so, right, so here, we'll, so that's that. So then, in our uh, in our episode about the Hotel Plaza Boulevard, we neglected to mention that the Reedy Creek Improvement District was housed in the Preview Center building uh, before they got their own building hmm. there on property, which I had forgotten about. So yeah, for a while after the Preview Center was over, they they used it for that too. So thank you, that was great. Um, when we were talking about touchscreen technology in our Communicore. 
you know, we were talking about how uh, you didn't actually touch the screens. They weren't right. like the ones today. They actually had like these invisible beams of light with sensors that would go across the front and make kind of a grid. Right. And and we said like, oh, well, nobody uses that anymore. Turns out we were wrong. Hmm. Uh, that technology is actually still in use today at the Haunted Mansion. So if you're out in the interactive queue and you're at the tomb that plays music where you like sort of touch the different things. Yeah. Those, that same kind of infrared system is actually still at work today. And there is an emitter on one side and a, and a trans, uh, receiver, receiver on the other side. Yeah. And it makes a grid pattern and that's how it knows how you touch things. So. That is pretty cool. Isn't that cool? It's like you mean the com- trumpet's not actually being <laughs> by ghosts. <laughs> it's or it's just done with ghosts, as Tony Baxter said. That's right? right. That's right. That's cool. And how you had some some not only your own corrections but the additional correction for for and or information about Horizons too, right? Yeah. So this was a cool one. Uh, so Ryan Ritchie, one of our our listeners. Uh, he sent me a YouTube video that we'll we'll put the link in the show notes. This is really cool. <laughs> and they actually used the Choose Your Future endings uh, in the exit of Star Tours. There's some TVs, and they put them in the TV as if they are like places that you could other places that you could potentially go and visit. Kind of the way, at least I assume that's what it is because I don't speak Japanese, so I'm not, not really sure what they're saying. But I'm assuming. <laughs> That they're pretending to be other destinations, kind of like when you're in the queue here, you they have like the other destinations that are up on the screen where they show like Hoth and Dagobah. And things, so, so what you're saying is that if I pilot the Millennium Falcon, maybe I can take it to Mesa Verde. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> that would be cool. And you're right, Todd. There's one more about Horizon. So... uh Alex Lewis sent this to us, and I actually didn't know this because I've never walked into Star Wars Launch Bay. Uh, but apparently, if you go into the Star Wars Launch Bay, there's like this seven foot long logo by a register, and the design of it is in an homage to the Horizons logo. That's so, cool. um, yeah, so that's neat. I had no idea that that was in there. See, another Star Wars, hor- I'm seeing the Carousel Progress family might really be, you know. They might be from a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> maybe maybe in the refurb, it's going to become like Baru and Owen Lars. <laughs> having problems with the their, last with, scene. We know what that'll be. Yeah. The song's not being sung. It's just, just stormtroopers come in and clear out the room. It's just, all the it's smoke. just their smoking skeletons <laughs> at the end. And all <laughs> Wait, Luke, it's too dangerous. <laughs> Oh, we're sorry we've killed you, the Carousel of Progress family. All right, well, Hal, thanks for those corrections and those anonymous pieces of information, all awesome things. See, we're tying all a lot of different episodes together here, which is is pretty cool. So, all right, JT, so over to the mail bag, getting pretty full. You've got a lot of things uh, coming out and stuffed into that bag. What do we got this month? Okay, a few things here. I don't want to step on the toes of the main topics. We'll walk this fine line. Uh, yeah. The first one, uh, we actually discussed this before we started the show, and we're going to iron this out because I know this has come up not just from Mr. Williams here, but from a few others. He says he was listening to a show uh, we posted where you play a couple of the Walt Disney World radio loops, and we was just wondering if there's any chance we could have the part two to that series of shows anytime soon. And we kind of went through this. We, we found that... We have a lot of these loops, I think, just archived, saved and stuff, and we're going to sort of officially release them, right? 
Yeah, we have a, a couple a couple to release. We're going to review what we've got and what we already put out there. Um, we've got about six or so total. Some of them are more of the Welcome Center and Nokala. Um, so we'll go through those. I know we do have one more official radio loop that was either two years after or prior to the one we already released. So we'll get those out there as a, as a mini episode um, and, and relatively soon for you. So stay tuned. Haha, <laughs> get it? Stay tuned. Uh, see that yeah, yeah see what it, well, it was, was always am radio wasn't it it was am yeah i don't think yes. uh how you were in the area more than often than us uh was there any fm was the ocala one still uh am as well uh they probably mentioned it in the actual recording we could listen yeah i, I think it was all am fm stations right. are expensive am yeah. yeah super cheap so True. i suspect True. there's a segment of our listeners under 25 who are saying what are they talking about <laughs> That's you explain it that's true <laughs> terrestrial the, radio what is that right i'll tell you what i think wasn't there a sign one of those brown rectangle signs that said tune to oh yeah 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 absolutely yeah. There's, there's we've seen there's that in a few shirt of our how, right there i want that, that would be a a, that would be a good shirt i think we shared that recording too somebody recorded that loop yes um, the radio we just loop need to put them all on one, one I, th- episode, I, if I, I think yeah the episode had an ocala loop as well as that you know what we should just buy an am radio station within <laughs> within within distance of walt disney world and just start just running the stuff on a loop there okay. is an event idea i'm not even kidding you can get an <laughs> fm transmitter illegally run it for an hour and say hey give it to our <laughs> just bring your car down yeah, if you're pulling up to disney from 6 to 9 p.m you're gonna hear this We'll start That's a pirate awesome. radio station on the former Discovery <laughs> Island. And they'll never find us. I heard that the 3D pass is twenty nine ninety five plus tax. Yeah. I heard it on the radio this morning on the way in. We'll, we'll put gorilla signs up. Tune your radios. To... <laughs> That's right. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so what else you got in there, JT? Uh, Michelle B. wrote in and she said, thanks for the memories. We stayed at the golf resort December 1976 for the fourth annual Walter Hagen National Championship that my dad and his friends played in. Hmm. Uh, they came in next to last. Uh, oh. they, at least they're they in contention, kind of. Um, she was 10 years old, but didn't think the pool was all that cool. Just rectangular. So they walked to the Polynesian and fell in love with their pool and the waterfall and slide. So... We've we've talked about these two. The mozzarella sticks. Come on, man. Yeah, you had mozzarella sticks showering water down upon you, even though (laughs) you didn't know what a mozzarella stick was then. That's true. Nobody (laughs) knew what it was. You know, there is is something about water cascading down on a pool. And, and Brian, I I think you'll know what I mean and how as well I say this. Those fountains were extremely reminiscent of those fountains that you found in malls in the 60s and 70s, right? And as a kid, you were like, on a hot day, if you're at the mall, you're like, I want to just jump in that. So... Getting into the golf resort pool was kind of like a dream come true if you ever wanted to swim in a mall fountain. I would have been whipped if I ever jumped into a fountain at a mall, so that thought <laughs> never crossed my mind. <laughs> I'm not saying I did. I'm just saying there was, you know, very similar design, right? You know, you always, yes, I agree. in the middle yes. of a pool, you always put Fountains something covered Fountains and malls pedals. were a huge thing in the 1970s. Absolutely. All kinds of different configurations. So. I love the, the 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 ones that would come out from the center and dome out, oh, or the yeah. or the, the the fan ones that would go out. Colored oh, lights, yeah. colored oh, lights yes. would light up the. As a yes. kid, I was enamored why how the, the the light bulbs even worked underwater. I was just dumbfounded by that. I thought that was amazing. I so. still don't know how that works. Actually. It was it was just <laughs> like shopping in an Esther Williams movie. So right. <laughs> there's a reference for all of our senior citizen fans <laughs> and Michael Crawford. There you go. <laughs> But Michelle, it's great to hear from somebody who remembers staying there and um, 
I hope that I hope you enjoyed the rooms more than the pool. So yeah, that 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 pool. I mean, it is cool with this monster. I I did see when I was wandering around that treehouse villas that their pool is equally as lame. If you've ever seen that, it has like four frogs just shooting streams of water, like <laughs> spitting. That's it. It's nothing fancy. That's the end so. of it. So. So that's going to do it for the mailbag. I'm going to close it up because we are going to slightly reopen it for the main topic. But I did want to discuss two things that we've been uh, doing behind the scenes. Number one, uh, which we mentioned last month, is the Magic Your Band uh, Magic Bank skins. We worked with MagicYourBand.com to create four retro WDW uh, Magic Band covers. And a few of our listeners I ran into in the parks got them uh, sent to them. We have a Lake Buena Vista historical retro magic and some retro wdw skins so if you are a magic band fan check them out and um it'll be definitely something to show off at the event in october go to magicyourband.com search for retro and you'll see the four things there and i did want to mention brian and i sat in with jeremy from the uh disney music radio station spectro radio re-recorded a uh, mini episode with him talking about everything from retro magic to lake buena vista historical society and everything in between that is going to start airing very soon here on spectro radio depending on when you hear this um but check out spectro radio for disney music and for us now so and for letters letting us know what you have to say um questions comments concerns podcast at retrowdw.com send us a email tweet anything we'll possibly put you on the show with your comment question or anything you have to say thank you much jt well it's time for this month's audio rewind and how uh, you've been picking these out for the past couple months as we've uh, let people know and um, again you struck a chord in the hundreds of responses this time around so <laughs> wow cer- yeah you certainly found something that uh, a lot of people had so Let's take a listen to last month's Audio Rewind. All right. Well, if you guessed Big Al from the Country Bear Jamboree, you are correct. And we do have a winner, as always. We'll be receiving a poster and additional retro WDW swag. Congratulations to Christopher Smith. So we'll be getting those prizes out to you. And as always, we have something to give away. Do you guys have anything to add into the bag this month? I think Howe is, is, is pointing at himself. Uh, we do. I'm going into the bag this month. No. All right. Well, uh, no, Howe needs we... a place to stay. So yeah. He's coming home to you with you. That's, that's true. If the hurricane comes and it gets wiped out, I'll be staying with a listener <laughs> chosen at random. For, uh, no, we have a DVD copy of Ooh. The Further Adventures of Walt's Frozen Head to give away. Oh, look at that. It's a great little film. If you if you have not uh, heard of this, it was an independently produced film uh, all about uh, what ha- what would be what would happen if Walt Disney's head were well not if because it's true because because <laughs> he it is still around and, and they would revisualize him like every couple of years to like give guidance to the to the uh, executives. Uh, but what would happen if you got under the park for a day to see uh, what his empire had turned into? So, uh, so his intern, and, yeah. and it's starring one of our yes. retro magic guests. That's right, Ron Schneider plays the part of Mr. Walt Disney. So, um, so we have a lovely DVD of that to give away to a listener who can identify this song. All 
All right. If you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind, send your guesses to contest at retrowdw.com. All entries must be received by October 13th, 2019. And we're giving you extra time here. Did that date ring true to anybody here? Did anybody pick up on that date? October 13th. I think uh, we have a lun- we have a luncheon. We do have a luncheon with some special guests, so uh, we're giving you a little extra time because we certainly have some planning to do, which we'll we'll talk about at the end of this episode. So you got a little extra time to get this one in. I'm also bringing some stuff oh. to Retro Magic, our event that you can get the last minute details. Tickets still available at RetroMagic.net. On Sunday, October 13th at the Contemporary Resort Hotel in the Ballroom of the Americas, a day of fun-filled, action-packed, musically inspiring uh, Disney history love. Extravaganza. An extravaganza. And I am bringing some some knickknacks and ephemera and things that we will give away that day. Oh, and at interstitials during the day's program. There we we'll, go. We'll come up with times where we just, we're, we're, we're giving away cars and TVs and VCRs, microwaves. To- <laughs> <laughs> we're going to give $5,000, put your head in a little bubble, and let you shop in a living room just like Wheel of Fortune. Right? That's right. And, and, and everything you don't spend, you get to take home in a service merchandise gift certificate. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Uh so and also too, Brian, none of that's sh- true. By the way, that's, which, right. that's our that's our legal disclaimer. <laughs> right. I am bringing stuff to give away, but it's none of the things we named. <laughs> we are more than halfway through um, hitting the maximum uh, attendance for this event. So if you are interested in coming out, check it out at retromagic.net and um, get your tickets today before they are all sold out because it could near sell out very very soon as we as we move forward here. So yeah, act act now and get your tickets before they're sold out. Because even though it sounds like there's a lot, it's a, we're trying to keep it somewhat intimate, right? It's not like a huge amount of tickets. It's not, we're not trying to like, it's not like D23 where people are going to be in the nosebleeds. Right. It's like, this is a nice, tight, intimate thing. And that's why the the tickets are limited. It's like, we're not trying to make a. Yeah. We, we, we want you to be able to interact. We want you to be able to see the VIPs and say hello to them and uh, experience and being able to see the screen and everything like that. So. A lot of exactly exactly all right well it's time for this month's main topic and um all right so as many of our listeners know for the past three four months we have uh, spent a lot of time uh focused on horizons and uh, we certainly need a break from that and um we decide uh you know what, what should we do next and brian said well you know i'm, I'm gonna work on something so uh, i'm gonna turn it over to brian to introduce this episode and mc us through it uh, this is something he's been working on and, and came up with, and um, uh, certainly is a little bit of a change from Horizons. But I think we can, I know, all need to catch a, a breather after uh, many midnight oil runs. So, Brian, uh, take it away. Well, part of the planning of this episode revolves around the fact that we are currently, if you hadn't been listening to the previous <laughs> five minutes, planning a ginormous event in October. So instead of an episode where we all hunker down with 57 books and websites and reviewing age-old videos and stuff to to bring you a a walk through a previous attraction or or place in in the world, uh, our mailbag has filled up with uh, our Twitters, our Facebooks, our Instagram messages, has filled up with questions from people. 
And so in talking to the fellas over the past couple of weeks, I said, why don't we, I, assemble a list of these questions and we just bang them out one by one. Like, for those of you who can't come to Retro Magic and ask us this stuff in person or stop us as they frequently do when they see JT in the parks wearing one of our T-shirts and say, <laughs> hey, I got a question for you, Mr. Retro WDW man. <laughs> and I don't know the answer. Yeah, you're like, I don't know. Let me, let me message Hal and Brian and Todd. <laughs> uh, that, 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 that we would uh, accept, not only go back through our backlog of questions, and, and which we've done, but uh, accept new, new questions from folks. So that's what we did, and you've answered with great aplomb and given us uh, a, a veritable uh, cornucopia of queries that we can answer. So without any further ado, uh, I'm going to read the first one. I'm going to read our first query, and it actually, we're going into the Wayback Machine to our second year of existence. Uh, episode 16, we had gotten a missive from Dan Curry, who asked us at that time about a, recalling a tram ride through the Paris sewers. He thought it was at Epcot. Now, we did answer this partially at one mm -hmm. time, what we thought was right, but Howard, you have new information. Yes, yes. Um, one of our listeners, the same anonymous gentleman who we mentioned earlier, uh, was kind. Who is this man? I yeah. know this is Zorro. Can we call him Zorro? <laughs> Very bad. Can he be on the show? Maybe. <laughs> uh, he let me know that there actually is a sewer museum attraction in Paris. Uh, about that. And in fact, like this thing, uh, tours of the uh, Parisian sewers actually dates back to the World Exposition of 1867 because uh, when they laid out new sewers in Paris, it was like the most modern. It was the biggest deal. So when people came from across the world to the World Ex Exposition, it's like they wanted to see this fantastic sewer system too. So it, it was really a marvel of its time. And even as late as the 1970s, you could take a tour of the sewers by boat. So they would put you in a little boat. And you would row Float you down the through the sewers, which is sounds fantastic. Um, so still not Disney related, though. No, but but it under we do understand now why Paris was like the key because like this was an actual thing in Paris. So they were just confused. It wasn't Paris at Epcot. It was the real Paris. Uh, may maybe that's going to be part of this new Remy ride at Epcot. Is there's going to be like a, uh, you know, they have the ride and then maybe a mm. walking portion where you can go through the sewers with a giant rat. That yeah. was in the film. Remy does go through the sewers in the movie yeah. when the ladies you could know, just they're the whatever the storm system mm -hmm. whatever that could is. just hang out by mouse gear and take a sniff too. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> not not for we're, too. We're going to come back no. to that too. Yeah. That yeah. comes back later in a future question. So. So the tour is now restricted to a small area, and unfortunately at this time it's closed because of adjacent construction. Hmm. But I know if I travel to Paris, uh, I will stop in <laughs> and check it out the next time that I'm there. Can you, you really? point me to your sewers, fella? <laughs> <laughs> so that is, uh, th thank you, Dan Curry. I hope you're still one of our listeners so you can hear that we've answered this question uh, and a follow-up. And that's just proof that, you know, we never rest on this stuff. We're we're always we're always seeking new and more in-depth answers. Our second question comes from uh, Andrew Brett, 
B-R-A-D-T. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. What are the best places to experience retro WDW today? He's referring to stuff that hasn't changed from the first decade of the Vacation Kingdom. What's left to go visit? Hmm. Now, we've answered questions like this before, but does anyone have a a suggestion um, on this one? Sure, I, I'll go first. So I, I think the last attraction that probably hasn't been touched or touched the least is the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. That mm. is almost... You know, it's it's been relieved over the uh, over the course of time, uh, meaning that they put new leaves on it. But other than that, it's it's still essentially the same walkthrough experience that it was in 1971. So th- that's my favorite place. Even to the go. pathways around it really haven't haven't changed. You know? Yeah, um, the jungle's they- kind of you know grown up around it, and it doesn't have like the cool tiki torches anymore. But uh, other than that, it's it's still yeah. essentially the same thing it's always been which is fantastic let me ask a question that uh tropical serenade was that a different show than the enchanted tiki room or no no it was the same show um in the version that ran originally it was a little bit longer so um they have cut the offenbach number the you you stay off of my bark and i'll stay off of your bark and they've also cut out the magic fountain uh, and in Let's All Sing Like the Birdie Sing, they have cut out the part where they ask the audience to whistle along, <laughs> which is thankfully, really... Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is that is uh, part of the uh, the original 1971 show, and the, uh, the pre-show is actually still the 1971 pre-show. So that, right. you're right, Brian, that is actually a nice spot. So, so that's go a good one. And I, and I would also add the Country Bear Jamboree, even though it's yeah. been edited down a bit. What remains is an original attraction uh, done by one of the best attraction uh, smiths out there. Right. So th- those are obviously three right there. But I also think there's probably some areas that you could get into if they hadn't taken that fountain out. Uh, in that little courtyard by where First Aid is. Oh, yeah. In the Magic yes. Kingdom and all, which they just did. That area, you could always kind of stand in there. It was like a time warp. You're mm. off to the side of the Crystal Palace, and there's little bathrooms there, and the first day, the baby care and First Aid Center. And if you've ever gotten a Band-Aid in there, you're like, man, this must have been what it was like getting a Band-Aid in 1971. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that reminds me, the ba- the bathroom is over in Tomorrowland uh, near the Sun Care Center. Not only is there a sign reminiscent of what was there, but <laughs> that area of uh, the people mover tracks, granted not to the original, the people mover came later, but that area right there has some of the original planters in that the original uh, seating and concrete seats um, really brings you back. And the other one I think about too, guys, is the Pinocchio Village House overlooking Small World. Oh yes, that's very Absolutely. true. You know, you know that mm-hmm. really hasn't changed. So there are a lot of uh, little little remnants out there still. There's there's one little spot I love over at the Polynesian. So if you're at the resort and you walk past the pool and you're walking down to where the uh, to where the luau cove is yes mm-hmm. there's this little seating area with a banyan tree uh where you you can walk down in there and it it feels like you're a million miles away from everything and it's just it's really just been kind of left alone and that that has a name and i, I i'm gonna have to google it because i don't want to get it wrong and have people yell at me but i think it's diamond beach and there's uh there's swings 
Yes. Uh, so it's a very, very nice area. It's on the uh, far side of the Tuvalu and Fiji longhouses and on the pathway there. And you can actually walk mm. that full pathway to the Grand Floridian, uh, past the Wedding Pavilion and over to the Grand Floridian. And it is a, if you really want to take a walk, like it, it's, it's a great area. But yeah, that, so obviously the question is about 71 and that side of it, of the Polynesian house, right, is, is, is like a time warp. And also the, the corrugated wall at the Contemporary. Uh, you know that's <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah i was thinking yeah, that absolutely yeah. and, and the ballroom of the americas of where you're um, going to see retro magic that that yep. uh that's that's a hasn't changed much no the mon- the monorail platform and all of the resort all those i shouldn't say all those resorts but the monorail platform at the polynesian the contemporary and the ticket tr- transportation center really haven't changed either other than reversing direction which you can find on the tom nabby episode right yeah and adding the Epcot spur eventually correct you know, that, that side yep. of it. Uh, but yeah, no, 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 no. It's uh there's a lot there. There's a lot there, but it is obviously all centered around seven seas lagoon and, and uh, mostly the magic kingdom. Uh, so that, that was a good question. Thank you, Andrew. Awesome. And I'm sure people will email us and message us with other suggestions of places we forgot. On from Andrew, we go to Josh priest and Josh asked, it's an interesting question. Do we think we will ever see uh, the imagination that built these parks uh, rear its head again? Or is it all going to be intellectual property injected stuff all over the parks from here on out? I'll start this answer. Uh, we don't generally cover current events, but uh, this is more, I think, of a philosophical question. Uh, the official answer, if you go back, the New York Times did an article about five years ago, maybe, that kind of charted the future of the company and, and what they were planning to do with the parks. The short answer is yes, most things will now be tied to an intellectual property. Now, if you read the reasonings that they give behind that, uh, it is largely because it's in response to guest surveys that when they come to a Disney park, they uh, or a Disney resort, they want to see elements of Disney characters uh, in everything that they do. And uh, so any ride or experience or attraction or show, they want to see Mickey Mouse or I guess now Marvel or things like that. Uh, I think I speak for all four of us that, while some of these attractions and shows are really interesting and good uh, on their own, uh, I think we probably all feel like if they were still making non or original intellectual property attractions exclusive to the parks, that they would probably be popular as well. Yeah. I, you know, Brian, I think you were exactly right. Um, I think there's some other factors too. Um, For me, uh, I think there's two things, well, maybe three three salient points out of the 10,000 things I'm thinking of right now. <laughs> so one is, uh, if you put yourself in the mindset of where the company was when they started to make these non-IP attractions, uh, this is a point where Walt was calling the shots uh, individually. You know, these, these were his things. He wanted a pirate ride. He wanted, a, you know, a haunted house ride uh, or attraction. It wasn't even a ride when he started thinking about it. 
but this was a gentleman had, who had gone through, you know, his animation, his interest in animation had started to wane. His interest in live action had started to wane. His interest in creating works for theme parks was red hot. That's what he wanted to do. So he put all of his efforts into making, you know, something for the parks, just like he used to do for movies. So I think really the fact that he was driving it uh, was probably one of the really the big factor that made these original stories come to life in the parks. Um, had the parks not existed, he probably would have continued to do this with film. But, you know, the parks is what he was really into at that time. So right. that's that's where he went. Um, the studio also had just gotten into live action when Disneyland was opened. I mean, they had only made two live action films and a handful of animated films. So they didn't have a huge library of their own intellectual property to pull from for attractions. So, you know, they didn't have a pirate movie to go and, and use as a, as leverage. And they didn't have like a, you know, a spooky movie to, to go and leverage to make an attraction. So they had to do something that was original. Yeah. Um, the company today is very, very different. They have, you know, now years and years of, of their own IP that they can pull from, uh, to sort of jumpstart the thoughts on an attraction. And, you know, even in the 1970s and the 1980s, when we were growing up, Disney movies were not super popular. Like, seven people went and saw Tron. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, yeah. two of them were you. Yeah. <laughs> like, a handful of people saw the black hole or, you know, the million-dollar duck. It's like... Right. It was a niche interest. And, and today, Disney movies are super popular. I mean, not just, I mean, obviously like Marvel is huge. It's like, you know, like everything that Disney, like they own the box office now. Right. Uh, right. So, uh, you know, certainly if you have the opportunity to, you know, use these, these stories and characters that people love, well, duh, of, of course you're going to utilize them. Right. And it's, it's much easier to market to, to say like, Oh, here's a new frozen attraction. Cause everybody already knows it is versus like, you look back at the marketing for Body Wars, and they kind of have to explain what Body Wars is. So it's just it's just easier to use IP. Now I will say, this may not last forever. Uh, again, they have they had times when the movies were very popular, and then times when they weren't popular. So we we very may may well see the pendulum swing in the opposite direction one day. Uh, and when they're if they choose to build a fifth park or a brand new park someplace else where they're going to need a lot of attractions and ideas. It's like, then I think we will see original ideas too, because, you know, even in Hong Kong, it's like, there are a number of rides that are new um, that aren't attached to IP at all. It's like, but it's a really cool story to tell. Uh, and in Shanghai as well, it's like, so you have like Mystic Manor and you have the, I don't remember the name of the one in Shanghai. That's like the water thrill ride with like the big crocodile thing at the end of it. So it's like they're still doing it. They just haven't done it here as much. Um, but I, I I think it could happen again. Your comment about the library is exactly on point how too. And I was going to add too. don't forget that, you know, when when Walt Disney World was is was in its infancy, um, there were attempted IP tie ins too, right? Treasure Island. They were going to tie that in with the movie Treasure Island and try to do that. So there were attempts and things to do that. And you're exactly right that the library just just wasn't there. Um, and enabled to do enabled them to do what they do today. I think we also are now in a time where IP, whether it be Disney or any other studio, um, really 
it brings in the money. It's the cash. And um, we are, as a society now, tied to the familiarity of the stories, of the characters and the plots that we expect and love. And uh, we are um, involved in those on a daily basis. So to go and explore something that we're so intimately intertwined with is is a big change to society. In the past, um, you didn't have that exposure. You could easily go and be excited about a, um, you know, a, a, a raft ride about uh, mutant mushrooms, and you'd think it was fantastic yeah. because it didn't apply to anything, right? Um, but that seems corny now, or, you know, but I'm using that as an example for pirates, right? It didn't need that because you were doing something you couldn't do anywhere else, uh, and you weren't expecting to visit something now in our society we're so ingrained with with ip across the board that we're so tied to it that we are expecting to experience it and we want to experience it i i just want to eat a cat with alf on melmac so i'm waiting i'm waiting for them to, to buy the alf the, experience yeah, to buy alf that's nbc universal should own that that was an nbc that's show right. so when universal opens up their cat cafe on melmac i'm i'm there It'll be there. Let's get the great question for that though. one. <laughs> great question. Uh, this actual next question, I think you had an answer for how, uh, and it was just from Kristen Waterbury asking if we had a recommended reading list anywhere. And you know what? Uh, she is not the only person that has asked that. So I am going to make a point. Uh, hopefully, by the time this is out, if not, it'll be shortly afterwards. It's like we'll put that together on the site. Uh, so that way you can see that because we have certainly referenced uh, a number of the same books over and over again here. Uh, so let's get a page up, Todd, uh, where people can can see the stuff that we like. Actually, back in uh, 2000, November 2017, published a holiday gift guide that not only had some of our artwork on it, but we did have uh, sections of books recommended that were Imagineers, history, official books, and, and different music. Uh, certainly needs to be expanded. So I think, as you point out, we can take that uh, and make it even better. So that's something we'll, we'll look to do. Fantastic. Our next question uh, comes from a guy with a great name, Brian Place, and he asks, what are the names of the islands inside World Showcase Lagoon? Those are the islands out there as they blow up illuminations, uh, soon to be RIP. Um, and you see those islands out there with the trees and all on them. JT, I think you have the answer for this one. I do. All right. So if you're sitting in front of American Adventure and facing Spaceship Earth, looking right from America, uh, there's two islands on the left and one on the right. In order from left to right, they are named. Here we go. Official names. Island 1, Island 2, <laughs> and Island 3. That's amazing. That's the same combination as my luggage. <laughs> yeah, right there in order, left to right. They didn't go right to I left. I have to put my hand up. Yes, but there is a there is another island though, the one that connects the bridge between France and England, or I'm sorry, yeah, between the United Kingdom and France. That's an island now. So does that have a name? Uh, is it islands? I, I don't is it know. island zero? Is it an sure, is it an I island or is it an, is an archipelago? <laughs> well, it depends <laughs> if you if you treat the bridges as 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 land masses, I suppose. But it technically is an island. Now, I heard someone say that that's supposed to represent the Straits of Gibraltar, which sounds like a load of crap to me. But, I mean, it is between <laughs> England and France, so I guess it makes sense, you know? Straits of Gibraltar between Spain and, um, uh, and, and uh, you mean the English Channel. Oh, no, I read something that said the Straits of Gibraltar, so you're right. That is crap. That, that's that crap. 
I mean, between <laughs> between France and Morocco, <laughs> yes, right? Because it's... Be- but Well, no, that doesn't make sense. It would have to be between <laughs> Spain and, and Morocco. So, no, absolutely not. It's That's got to be false. All right. Well, I can't wait to visit them. Island 1, 2, and 3. You know, we, yeah. we, we want that oh, experience. Yeah. Epcot forever. You're going to be able to get to, to float out there on a drone and everything. Just wait. Uh, uh, all right. Here's another current events question <laughs> from the Hung Throttle podcast. That's an actual at uh, uh, Twitter account. Asked us, will Galaxy's Edge become an instant park classic? Number one, I don't think anything is an instant classic. Like, that's just that's just crazy to me. That's That classic means something totally different, in my opinion. I've been randomly venting to you guys throughout the past couple months with this, and my biggest hang-up with Galaxy's Edge, which I don't think is... I think it's going to be good. I think it'll be cool. I haven't seen it yet in either park. I think that, to me personally, I think Disney is banking too much on the new stuff. They didn't go back old enough for me, Mm -hmm. for anybody. I mean, I I would like to walk through a Star Wars land and see Hoth and see Darth Vader and see Luke or, you know, whatever, something related to that and go even farther that you know i'm not that old but you know my four-year-old daughter we're watching walkthroughs and she said every time is dwarf vader around there where is he i want to see him and i'm like i'm sorry he's not there and you never will see him there and i think that's going to take a little bit of the steam and the thunder out of the whole thing it's still going to be cool i think it'll be neat to go eat some fancy popcorn and fly the millennium falcon and maybe see kylo ren yelling at me or something but you know Door Fader's not there. That's the... so. Yeah, I, I don't know about instant classic. I think eventually, over time, it, it, it that place will probably change as as the movies evolve. I think the reason that they went with a place like that. This is just my own opinion, and maybe others have the same. Uh, I, I I think Disney tried to play it safe. If they had created a Hoth or a Tatooine or something else that we are intimately familiar with, um, the amount of you got it wrong or this isn't right or these things don't add up or you never would have had this next to that. Um, totally agree. That goes out the window when you move to Batu or however we say it. Um, so I think that gives them an excuse to create a world that you've never been to before. Um, you know, Pandora, when they created that, they had to kind of mimic something. Um, classic it's tough to say. I mean, classic uh, attraction, you know, in the word classic really, rem- you know, harkens back to days of something of really old has been around a while you really got to use it so i think that's something that has to be determined over time uh and what its staying power is um you know if we're doing that if we're talking about this 15 years from now they're still there i would give the nod to star tours as a classic attraction <laughs> before i would to these yeah my answer is no <laughs> no it won't become an instant park classic. next question sounds like yeah. mike did no next question and uh i mean for me I, I think we have to wait until rise of the resistance opens before we can really yeah do any final judgment because the little bits and pieces that we've seen lead from that to me are not the millennium falcon isn't compelling but the pieces of video that we've seen so far of that is very compelling so uh, game changing yeah so let's see what happens once that opens up and there's like Lots of neat stuff to see. All yep. right. Thank you, gents. Um, our friend Michael Knox, who is coming to Retro Magic in October and says he'll see us then, asks, there's another kind of current events, but also two questions, actually. One, if we were in charge of Disney parks, what attraction would you consider putting in refurbishment? My answer is imagination. 
Uh, ditto. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Come on, JT. I'm going to say Living Seas. Nice. I was actually, <laughs> yeah, I was so hoping good. somebody would drop Carousel of Progress in there too. I, to me, I think the Seas are, are cool enough without Nemo, and I mean, you could make it really, really neat. Like just pull all that garbage out of there and i like nemo we know definitively for 25 years they were cooler without nemo so yeah right (laughs) really cool Uh, like it's just been ruined and and like you guys said imagination is just it just needs i'd love to see it get some attention i was gonna say i mean i think that's a good call about carousel progress obviously the last act has fallen behind the times you know as as it has before so it's time to revisit that, and allegedly that's in the works. Yeah. So you know, maybe we'll we'll see that shortly. Uh, let's see what else is. Yeah, I think Nemo right now falls in the category. It's fine. We'll get yep. through with it. You know, um, touch up the blue, keep it running. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, what else? I mean, you know, people could say that oh, take pirates and turn it into more like Shanghai. You know, there can be arguments for that. Uh, personally, another one on my list, and I might get shot for this, but um, Space Mountain. Um, how you and I went on Space Mountain Disneyland uh, back in May together, and I, you and I had a discussion about you know what could you do with the track and how the track was relayed. Um, I think it's a, a interesting experience. I think it's you know jolt and back jarring bumps and stuff uh have seen its time i think it it's an awesome space to do something really really cool um such as propulsion you know uh, maglev propulsion into it much like uh, a rock and roller coaster something like that um that could really you know bring bring it into the current times and make it a, a stellar attraction pun intended yeah, yeah, that it is. It's it's reached end of life, so it's it's time to do something else. And with Tron going in next door, it's a tough call to say whether or not that's going to even be around for a while. I mean, yeah, supposedly something Yeah, it was supposed to be retracked. I want to say five or six years ago when they put mm-hmm. it off. So I mean, it's just it. I mean, the tracks are literally aged out to the point where they need to be replaced. Right. So something's got to happen with it at some yep. point. You and I talked about if you want to add Star Wars to the Magic Kingdom, a, a true overlay, you know, going through a warp tunnel, showing like you're going warp speed as you're accelerating yeah. up to 70 miles an hour and then shooting straight up into space would be quite a thing. <laughs> well, I guess, and you bring me to it, like, if there's one thing that probably should be rehabbed, it's probably literally all of Tomorrowland. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. To, to some extent. Which, yeah, we're going to see what Good we're going to get out of that. Because it's yeah. just all over the place. And, and whether that means it's not Tomorrowland anymore and it becomes something else that it can yeah. hang a theme on, that's fine. If they want to do a true Tomorrowland, that's cool too. Um, but we definitely have like this strange hodgepodge of, you know, Buzz Lightyear <laughs> and cars and Space Mountain and like a shooting ride and laugh floor and it's this become miscellaneous land it really is it's it's because well it's become sci-fi land and i think that's really where 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 a lot of it goes to which is fine that's part of that's part of a fantasy and we could we could certainly yeah. have that the word tomorrow doesn't i wouldn't mind like yeah if they just went straight up sci- science yeah, fiction totally on works no I problem mean, yeah. discovery land is kind of like that in paris i mean let's admit it that mm-hmm. land in all parks has an identity crisis, <laughs> no matter where you are, is str- is struggling. To, I mean, how you and I saw first land, and, and Brian too. We were walking through Disneyland, and Tomorrowland out there is a hodgepodge of a sad state, dilapidated rides, yeah. unused buildings. It's it's it's, it's bad. So, 
Uh, say he, uh, Michael also asked if we wish to see more of a presence of Roger Rabbit at MGM Studios. And uh, me personally, going to MGM, that's like, you know, MGM is the Epcot of you guys for me. MGM, I remember going as a kid. It's my earliest memories there. He was there a lot at the time. I mean, he was he was very present. He was there was little gags, little things, little pieces, parts. The Ditmobile, everything was there. Honestly, it goes back to that IP question. I mean, you can inject him, but nah, nobody's gonna know who he is. I mean, a few people will, but not enough to to me to put the money into it. I think that's that's my opinion. But I'd love to see it personally. But I don't know if once again, you know, everybody else would. And, and I think that at this point, there's a fear for. Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin in Disneyland, right? Isn't there yeah. thoughts that it's going to be taken out? There was an announcement of an attraction coming, which escapes me at the moment. Oh, it was the tra- the uh, uh, the train, the ra- the railway ride, the Mickey. Oh, that's guy. right. Ma- Minnie and Mickey's Runaway ra- Railway, which they're putting in the Hollywood Studios right now. And so the thought is that it, because they announced it was going in Toontown in uh, Disneyland, that that it's going to take Roger Rabbit's place. And the Roger Rabbit ride there is very neat. Uh, it's a dark ride, uh, but the, the the hook there is that you can turn your car 360 degrees, hence the name Cartoon Spin, as you go through the ride. Yeah. And uh, obviously, most of those rides are made for you to look in primarily in the direction and to the sides of where you're going and not necessarily behind you and all. So the that Roger Rabbit dark ride is very much a... Uh, a fully immersive 360 ride as you go through it. And it's, it's, re- it's really well done. And I, you know, there were a couple of Roger rabbit attractions that were part of what was going to eventually be slated for sunset Boulevard. I think that is at correct. Hollywood mm-hmm. studios. Yeah. Yeah. That the trolley, I believe, which got morphed into the trolley that, that you see at Disney uh, DCA. Uh, there were a couple other things. I, I, you know, I think, the Roger Rabbit IP just doesn't have the staying power. It is a more grown-up film. It's not doesn't resonate as as well now as it did back then. And even then, it was kind of an oddball um, pro- piece of production. The characters didn't fit into the normal uh, Disney motif, if you will. Is, so is this, is I this think where it's where we lose fans when I say I didn't care for it. <laughs> You can say it. I said it about Horizons. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie, but I outside of that, I found him very annoying. Um, and it just, uh, I mean, yes, it was it was meant to be in the 1920s and 30s, and it it fits into that bill. But I just, I just never saw it fitting in. So uh, they used they really to... rammed him down your throat too. Whether you like, they him. did. I mean, you'd see him oh, yeah. in little shorts beforehand. The the merch was big as a kid. I mean, he was ever present in my young Disney brain. He was just all right. over. And then at the same time, though, he, he there was a weird licensing where he was kind of Disney but kind of not. And, you know, you hear about that stuff and you're like, well, yeah, no wonder he didn't make it. It's like it's almost like the Spider-Man thing happening now right. with uh, Marvel. It's it's a weird argument. Yeah, apparently it's exactly. like Spielberg has to agree because it was a co-production yeah. and then there's... but So here's here will be my take on it. In one line of thought, it could be cool if each park had a mascot. So, you know, Mickey's for the Magic Kingdom. Figment, whether there's a good ride or not, is sort of like the character mascot for Epcot. Like, maybe Roger Rabbit could be, you know, the character uh, the character mascot for Disney's Hollywood Studios, whether or not anybody knows who he is. Because, like, the association with Figment now, compared to the original ride in 82 at Epcot, 
it's pretty much dead and buried, but somehow he magically shows up on like every single piece of merchandise for like food and wine and everything else. And so I don't know, maybe maybe if they could work out the licensing things, that that could be his function. And for Animal Kingdom, it could go. be like Joe Rody's earring could be like the character that <laughs> <laughs> it comes to life like that Microsoft paperclip yep. that used to or be Mr. in the office. <laughs> Clippy, let me just help you. Oh, you're Mr. DNA. Looks <laughs> like you're trying to build a theme park. Well, thank you yeah, very thank much. Thank you, Michael. Uh, that was Michael, and he says we'll see you in October. So yeah, that's awesome, Michael. Good, good to see you, Todd. What, what else we got? I'm bringing my Roger Rabbit stuffed animal right, with me. For put him on go. your shoulder like a banshee. I got a little. I got a little. Yeah, I got a little suction cup one that used to go in the car <laughs> window. Oh, please, from that era. <laughs> Todd, why don't you take this next one? Sure. So uh, Justin Margadana asked, I have heard that the gas crisis in the 1970s put a delay or stoppage to other phases of the property. Do we know what? those other phases of construction would have been. So uh, the ones that immediately come to mind for probably myself as well as the, uh, the uh, most of our listeners out there are the four hotels, uh, the Venetian, the Asian, the Persian, and the Mediterranean that would have been on the monorail loop. Um, those are the, probably the most prominent in a lot of our memories, uh, as well as uh, Western River expansion, which would have been a huge expansion where the pad where Splash Mountain and Thunder Mountain is. It would have housed two attractions. Um, and that's certainly a, probably an entire show in the details. Um, how you've got some more information on, on some of the area, other areas um, that would have been expanded upon as well. Oh, yeah. there was. I mean, they were thinking about a whole bunch of things, you know. Uh, they were going to do like a full-blown version. Of, as you mentioned earlier, Treasure Island. Treasure they Island, were yeah. They going to do like uh, more attractions on, on Treasure Island. They had talked about doing a bunch of attractions at Fort Wilderness and even um, more uh, thing called Buffalo Junction that had like more um, more um, places to stay there. Um, they had toyed around with doing almost like a SeaWorld style attraction as a side attraction with dolphin shows and things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they had thought about, you know, any number of different ways to expand Walt Disney World. And uh, unfortunately, when that gas crunch, you know, severely reduce the amount of visitors it's like they just didn't have the income coming in uh and to justify any of that stuff yeah really really hit i mean and, and we're lucky we you know we're talking about space mountain aging we're lucky we got that um i think it's something to the fact they had already started that so they just continued it right yeah yeah had they said they, they had already spent the money to get the concrete and start to pour the concrete uh for that so they they decided to just keep it going otherwise like a lot of that uh, they would have shut the down, shut that down, and perhaps some of the other uh, Tomorrowland things too. In fact, that's probably the reason why we lost the train station in Tomorrowland mm. is because they just didn't want to spend the money on, like, doing that. So that's a tiny little thing that was cut Can out. Can you imagine if that big circular concrete pad was just left? That's where Cirque du Soleil <laughs> would have been today. <laughs> <laughs> just a giant spinner, uh, well, some giant exactly. spinner ride. <laughs> Well, thanks for that question, Joe. Yeah, it's interesting. It's we always love to talk about things that weren't built. Um, Joe Barlow, we have a number of questions from our friend Joe Barlow, who has been marathon listening to our back catalog <laughs> and emailing us some of the most interesting questions were stuff we talked about we forgot, and we have to go back and listen to. Uh, he starts off here with, uh, man, we can all answer this one. Over at Fort Wilderness, near Roy's cabin, there was a tree with a lawnmower stuck in it. Was this faked or something they just happened to find? The answer is, it was not faked. It was absolutely something that they happened to find uh, when they were developing the property. 
Uh, it was a lawnmower from the 30s or 40s. It was a push mower. It wasn't like it wasn't like yeah, it wasn't like a lawn boy or something. It was it was it was a manual push. Which, if you if you have a small yard, is the best way because it's true scissor action on your. We on had your that house. in in a, a little in our we had a little postcard sized backyard in our row home in rocks in the Roxborough neighborhood of Philadelphia, growing up, and that's how we cut the lawn. We had a little push thing. They, yeah. you know, you push them, and and it yep. makes the blades spin around. But there's no motors or anything, and yeah. So one of these was left against the tree at some point, probably because it broke. And over the years, uh, the tree, as it a tree is wont to do, will grow up around, and it consumed a large part of it. Now, the interesting th- thing is, they took it out uh, seven, eight years ago, maybe ten years ago. But the excuse at the time was that the stump, because it was really just down to a stump. I mean, it was a stump, and it was bare. Right. There are plenty of pictures online if you want to Google it. But the the um, the they said that they took it out because the, the stump was starting to rot and it was like a hazard to guests. And if you ever saw the thing, there is no possible scenario where that thing was a, was a hazard to guests. <laughs> I mean, it was just, they just apparently at some point just took it out. Yeah, it was, I recall when it was actually still a tree, yeah. like, you know, it was big fault and then it slowly got lower and lower. But in, in it, to me, it seemed like too less and less of the mower was visible mm-hmm. by the end you could see just a small smidgen of metal and the sign was there and yep. it was a really cool sign um yeah you know just that old fort wilderness look but so it, it's interesting trees taking over things we were at arlington national cemetery back in july taking the tour and um uh, some of the trees are doing the same thing to the, the headstones there which is really interesting thank you joe for that we'll come back to you with more of your questions Uh, Doug Skinner was our next folk who came in and said, if you could go back and experience any ride, attraction, or show at Walt Disney World as if it were your very first time all over again, which would you choose? I'll jump in here first. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say something in the Magic Kingdom, which will probably freak people out. But there are two attractions, and Horizons is not one of them. And I have I would have a hard time choosing between Spaceship Earth, Walter Cronkite, and World of Motion. Well, my answer is um, Spaceship Earth, Walter Cronkite. So yeah, there we go. So we'll get two. So I'll just by default of that because I, I just love the ending and the, 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 the apex of the, the of the sphere. Um, but World of Motion was um, as we've talked about before. You know, on the on the level of Spaceship Earth and on the level of Horizons, but it's one that hasn't gotten the billing, and I certainly certainly love that attraction so much and and really miss that one horizons has been documented to death we've talked about it to death and we we certainly dedicate two complete episodes to world of motion as well but i just don't think it has the nod and the appreciation that's out there and to see it again would be would be something cool the first time honestly some of my first time ones are you know i don't necessarily remember them. i would like certain ones to actually go on like we talked about horizons i would like to go on that actually for a first time i'd like to go on world of motion some of those those old epcot ones definitely would be at the top of my list um i i always go back to this one in my brain you know imagine we used to say at fort wilderness and you'd look kind of out that way as you'd be on the boat to the contemporary and you'd I always remember seeing Space Mountain and thinking like what what is that didn't know what that was and 
you couldn't ride it because you weren't big enough. That was just it. And then finally that moment, you know, when you finally got tall enough to ride it, that was definitely like a big moment. And, you know, that feeling of being tall enough again is, is quite a good one as a kid. So I'd say, you know, that would be a, a fun memory to relive for sure. I am going to interpret this question as meaning if I could go back and experience an attraction that is currently there today as if it was my first time. Okay. What 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 one would it be? Which is really tough. As I get into my eighties, this could actually be a real thing that happens. I could I could get dementia and completely forget that I'm every trip is your first time. <laughs> every, right. I'm like, oh this is so exciting. <laughs> Look at this. Fifty first yes. <laughs> You know, I'm gonna have to go with the tiki room just because the way that that uh, starts small and just slowly expands and slowly expands and slowly expands in this room comes to life it's just such a great you know interestingly paced show and like you know the great introduction to audio animatronics and the color i think i'm gonna have to go with that one i'll also say in taken in that vein i mean i i think spaceship earth because i i think it may have been my first attraction i mean the the memory is is hazy it certainly was my first epcot attraction and it stuck with me more than any of the others although they all stuck with me but I would also say I was extremely excited for my first ride on and it did not disappoint. And that is Soren, which I love. And the, the original Soren, uh, knowing kind of what it was and the lines were like 72 hours long and, and you got on the ride and it lived up to the billing. You know, it just. So if I could go back to 2005 or six, whatever trip it was, the first time I rode it at Epcot, uh, that would absolutely fall on under the a more re- recent example for that question. We could we could take you to California and hit you on the head with something <laughs> and give you amnesia, and we could go do it next week. We could you could go ride. There I go. think Sorry. I'd be more excited to ride Small World for the first time in that scenario. <laughs> so uh, back to our friend Joe Barlow. Uh, Joe, uh, this is not his last question, by the way. Asks us about the small boat launches that are used between Fort Wilderness and the Contemporary and some of the other Magic Kingdom resorts. They are by far my favorite transportation on property. The openness of the boats and how low they sit in the water really gives it a personal feel when you're on the lake. Do you know who manufactured them? And have the boats been updated over the years, or are these the original ones? I'm going to start the answer, but Howard has a critical piece that he has to add in here that I didn't know. These boats are original operating from opening day October 1st 1971 as resort transportation and to give you a little background on their on their operation they started as steam launches but were prone to mechanical problems as so many of the early boats at Magic Kingdom were when it opened they were converted to gasoline engines until the oil embargo of 1974 and then converted to natural gas along with the ferries Later, they were outfitted with Detroit diesels and now have Perkins diesels engines. And uh, these are the really attractive boats with the blue and white uh, uh, canopies over the tops of them that runs between the Polynesian Contemporary, Grand Floridian, Fort Wilderness, and Wilderness Lodge. Often billed as resort launches. Yeah, their, their, their official name is the Motor Launch, not to be confused 
with the uh, slightly larger boats that are called what the motor cruisers. Uh, and they're mm-hmm. the ones that look like the friendships that are used in, uh, and they tend to run those to, I think, the fort more than they do to the others the, during higher traffic times. But, uh, yeah, so they, they're there. We love riding on them. Uh, and Howard knows who built them, right? Yes. As, as it turns out, uh, most of the, the watercraft at Walt Disney World, you know, prior to uh, the opening of Central Shops, um, they had to have somebody else build the stuff for them. So the Jungle Cruise boats, the Small World boats, uh, all of these, as, as well as these motor launches, were built by a company called Morgan Yacht. Um, which is actually located uh, in my hometown right now, uh, St. Petersburg, Great. Florida. So they were made here and and shipped over there. Um, that company has since uh, changed hands uh, once. Uh, but the next time Brian comes down, we're going to drive over there and see if we can't talk our way onto the lot and see if we can't find some uh, some sort of vestiges of... Uh, of the boats still yeah, around there. Uh, so just for a little more background, Joe, and also because this is a topic that we love, there are six of them. Uh, they are named the Adventurer, the Explorer, the Mariner, the Navigator, the Seafarer, and Voyager, and they can hold 39 passengers. Uh, obviously, they're much smaller than the ferries, but a little-known fact is these uh, the mass that comes up through these things uh, is... So there's a little bit of a, a, a smokestack that comes up from the center of them that also they've festooned to look like a mast. Uh, atop of that is a lightning rod, since obviously running a boat on the giant body of water in Florida, where lightning and thunder are prone to happen, uh, they, have <laughs> a, they have a lightning rod on them. And all the boats, actually, uh, that they run out there uh, have lightning rods on them uh, for that express purpose. So... Uh, he asked if the boats also had been updated over the years, or are these the original ones? I think they're the original ones. Another interesting fact about the boats today, um, there are one of the few remaining transport, or I should say the only remaining transportation method that still adorns the triangular color-coded flags, oh, right. which were actually something that flew on the buses as well as the boats. Uh, so if you look carefully, uh, you will see. And now they fly on Brazilian tourists. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So uh, not only those, but all the boats within uh, the Seven Seas Laguna Bay Lake have uh, specific color flags, which tells you the route. Um, but you sadly won't see those colors posted anymore. But they are kind of a little throwback to uh, ways of identifying your boat from afar years ago. Outstanding. So I hope that answered uh, your questions there, Joe, and piqued the interest of some of our listeners. George Wittenberg has what? asked us, hey guys, Wh- you've done a lot of, sh- yes, putting emphasis on the H. <laughs> you've done a lot of shows on attractions and hotels, which are great, but we leave out details of what cast members wore at those various attractions and hotels. So he would like to know, what did the ride operators wear at Horizons, Spaceship Earth, and Space Mountain, or maybe other attractions, on day one of those attractions? I think, didn't the Horizons people wear some kind of jumpsuit? Yeah, I think the, the early, real easy answer to this is polyester. <laughs> well, that, that much is certain. <laughs> that much is certain. Which must have been very comfortable in the Florida Absolutely. heat. Absolutely. It wasn't itchy yeah. at all. So the old joke was Epcot stood for experimental polyester clothes of tomorrow. <laughs> I'm 
amongst <laughs> amongst the cast members. Yeah, I, you know, there's actually photos of these outfits uh, that are out there, and I, I think we have some of them in our uh, in our galleries. We do, in, we, we do in our galleries. Yeah, we can certainly show you some of those and get those posted up. And then they were uh, stylishly late seventies, early eighties, with stripes and all sorts of wide collars. If and... if you watch, we've mentioned Black Hole once in this though, or if you watch Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Uh, from 1979, the, both of those would give you a good sense of what a lot of Epcot opening attraction costumes looked like. If you see what the people were wearing in those things, it was very much a late 70s, early 80s space vibe uh, on a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And um, I think it's interesting. They were color coded to match the attractions. Yeah. So yes. As part of the color system that the attractions had, it's like those the clothes were were part of that. They matched. So it's really, really well thought out. Yeah, so Spaceship Earth, since it's a giant golf ball, everybody was dressed in golf shirts and <laughs> loud pants. And it's Bob Hope. They were dressed like Bob Hope. Right. Yeah, they had spikes. There's people throwing bananas at their radio right now listening to us. Uh, hey, we've got one more question. Our last question from Joe Barlow. Mm-hmm. Joe says he is looking forward to the new show and and in and has a question. That in Epcot Center, are there many people that have trouble understanding which direction Communicore East and Communicore <laughs> West are, or is it just how? <laughs> and, and then he adds a note. Remember, West smells like sewage. Well, I think I, I think pretty soon we're not going to we're not going to have to worry about which is which, unfortunately. But uh, but the answer is yes. Yeah, there are definitely a lot. A lot of us forget which is which, uh, and a lot of us don't care. <laughs> so, uh, it was just in, in a, that one or that one. I, I, and I think now, obviously, with there was the, the east-west delineation was lost, uh, you know, many years ago. Um, so I think it doesn't matter as much. But um, yeah, how you always get mis- you always get mixed up because you, you, as the Magic Kingdom, you're walking into the north, and in Disneyland, you're walking into the north, and in uh, Epcot, you're walking in directly to the south. So it's certainly I know is, just throws it me throws off. you but off and flip flops. We were just. Uh, today it's like you know for a while they were doing this thing with the maps where the maps were actually oriented to their to their proper direction uh, of the parks oh so like if you walked into epcot you know the maps were upside down you know for the longest time it's like the maps were done from where wherever you walked in was kind of like how how the map was oriented so you know the epcot map had future world first and then world showcase in the back and then at some at some point in the 2000s it flipped yes upside down uh and all of them did that so like suddenly you know when you opened up the map uh world showcase was at the bottom and future world was at the top and mgm suddenly did this like whole turnaround (laughs) shift where it ran on a diagonal yep uh and the entrance was in the upper left hand or upper right hand corner or something and uh it's just they actually today uh with uh the new um, map that came out for Galaxy's Edge. They actually put it back to the way that it was, so that the park entrance is on the bottom, and you, it sort of follows the way that you naturally walk in. Interesting. So I'm curious now whether they will do that with the Epcot map and return it back to its not GPS accurate, but like more <laughs> of a mental model uh, way of doing it. Not to be used for navigation. <laughs> yeah, and and my feeling was I think at some point somebody said like, oh well, someone's got a nav thing on their phone, so they're gonna want to look at this 
and have it match the map so they can figure out where they are in relation to the nav on their phone. Sure. But to, with today, you know, the the phones actually, you know, there's apps from Disney that have the map on it. So if you're going to be that have GPS capabilities, so if you're going to use the app to do that navigation, then great. It's all right there on your phone. Uh, and for people that don't have, you know, don't choose to navigate that way, it's like they can go back to the mental model and, and use the map like a normal person. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, one more on my list here before we move to a different list. Uh, Huck Explorer asks, what's the deal with Orange Bird? I went to the parks a lot from 1987 to 1997, and I have no memory of this character, but I see their merchandise everywhere. And that is some incredibly fortuitous timing. <laughs> Isn't it, though? It's, it's like when I saw his question, I'm like, wow, you just missed it. Yeah. So uh, so the Orange Bird uh, was a character uh, developed for the Florida Orange Growers Association uh, as part of their sponsorship for the Enchanted Tiki Room. So he kind of debuted in, in the 1970s. I know as a walk around character, he had a bunch of merchandise uh, if you walked into any Florida Orange Grove type stand, it's like there was cards and beach balls and inflatables and banks and all this stuff. Like he really represented, you know, Florida Citrus. He was in a series of commercials with Anita Bryant. Uh, there, there was a meet and greet character in Adventureland. He he was huge uh, and he continued and persisted until 1986 one year before uh before he started coming and then he just disappeared off the face of the earth after the sponsorship uh with the florida orange growers uh evaporated so uh so suddenly there is no orange bird uh because he's just dead and buried you in the 90s you could actually still find leftovers of the merchandise in in sort of the, the roadside grove uh stands so i would go find like a batch of six yo-yos or something and buy them uh, or some jewelry or they there was still stuff was still hanging around kind of on the clearance rack um, but he had essentially really kind of disappeared from public public consciousness uh, and then in the early 2000s hang on yeah around then I mean it was the mid 2000s I think the yeah the um, Japanese all, parks right yeah right all of a sudden they he started showing up in uh in merchandise in tokyo disneyland i actually ordered some stuff on ebay from uh from tokyo because it was it was so rare because uh, you'd find like the same three orange bird items on ebay over and over again <laughs> if you're looking for anything orange bird you'd find like the bang and a couple of little pvc things but they made these really beautiful little pvc figurines for over there supposedly uh there was a holiday uh in well the there is a holiday in Japan called Orange Day, which is on April 14th. So somebody at Disney, and it would actually be, we need to find out who this person was that actually brought this back. I think we need to do some research and find out who they are. Uh, they figured like, oh, well, we have this orange bird character. It's like, let's make that part of Orange Day. And he got huge over there. Uh, there was all kinds of merchandise. And then eventually, I just, I guess it ended up spilling over into america because you know people were buying this stuff from japan and showing it off online and like hey look at this cool orange bird thing i find i found and uh and finally um they actually brought him back in the parks so when i think it was 2012 uh let me double check that yep 2012 uh someone actually found 
in the uh, the sculpture studio of WDI in California, they actually found the original Orange Bird figure that <laughs> that hung uh, in the Sunshine Tree at the Juice Bar in the Sunshine Tree Terrace, and they refurbished him and brought him back to Florida, painted him up, and and put him back in the Sunshine Tree, and came out with a line of merchandise to go with it. And kind of officially reintroduced him to the parks. And from them, he's he's just kind of spread. Uh, and for me, I think it's really cool because there are so few things uh, with the Magic Kingdom in Orlando that are, you know, original or done just for the park, the our park. It's like most of the stuff is, you know, oh, it's from Disneyland and you got the, or you got the crappy version of it. Um, but this is a character that was done for us. So... Uh, I think it's really cool that uh, he has now come back around, you know, to represent the park, uh, and he's ours. So uh, I, I love that, and and that's why he's everywhere now. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I, I was excited when I saw that question come in as well. Uh, so most of those questions were submitted via either email or Twitter, uh, but we're going to ju jump over to our Instagram feed where we solicited some questions, and uh they did not disappoint. We got some good ones there, too. Uh, our first question from KHollywood9 asked uh, that Buzz Price said they built Epcot Center in the worst possible spot. Is this why they tore Horizons down, and is this why they are tearing down Communicore West? Well, I know for a fact the spot maybe wouldn't wasn't ideal. Remember, the spot where Epcot is today is not the spot where it was originally going to be in overall. I agree, Todd. I've heard that, too, where they... The people that decided where to build Epcot didn't refer to the original planners of Disney World, and they, the, if you ask the original people, they said that was one of the worst spots to build. It's full of roots and swamp right, right. and whatever have you. And then on top of it, when they did select the site, then they had to move it over about 300 yards due to an endangered woodpecker. Um, and that's why I believe that one of the roads there is something woodpecker lane or something like that, and, and paying respect. And ironically, the bird left and after they moved the whole park, well, after the park was built. I don't think they had to move the park. I think they just had to move the parking lot. Was it just was, the parking original, lot? Originally, the parking lot was going to be on the side of Epcot. Gotcha. And they had to move it to the front. Gotcha. I thought some of it had to be shifted over, too. But, I mean, look, it's Florida soil. There's a lot of sandy stuff. There's been rumors about that Horizons was sinking, as we've talked about. Horizons was in really not great shape in the end. Um, and, uh, you know, the Odyssey area was definitely supposedly a, a, a sinkhole and all that. Um, and honestly, I think the Communicore, uh, you know, West, I had to think about there, which one? Yeah, it's West. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just past its prime. And I think that's also. And, and, and we know the reason up. there's the large bridge between Future World and World Showcase is because yeah. they couldn't build yeah. on that land. Couldn't could build too... anything that's all yeah. soggy. So turn it into water space. So, um, but I, yeah, I, I, I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, but that's no, that's probably not why they're tearing down Communicore West. That's, no, I don't, I don't believe so. Um, so thank you. It's actually, it's actually the curse of the Indian burial mound that's, that's there. Vincent Price <laughs> left the idol that's there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, hey, Disney Girl 71 asked our thoughts on all the recently revealed changes coming to Epcot. I'll answer this one first. They didn't really reveal a lot. There are a lot of changes coming, and I will say this. This is my answer to everyone. I don't know what they're doing, and neither do the rest of us, because those plans that they announced were not particularly detailed for the most part. I'm glad to see them adding attractions into World Showcase. 
I am glad to, after 10 years of Animal Kingdom, uh, Magic Kingdom, and Disney MGM Studios, all getting multi-billion dollar injections of, of development and updates, uh, that it's finally Epcot's turn. Uh, so beyond that, I don't have an opinion except Epcot in the state that it's in requires more uh, and, and investment, and they're doing that. And I will reserve my judgment on whether I like it or not, but I do think yep. it's a good idea. I, I agree definitely with you, Brian. It's, it is time. It's re- ready to, to be worked on. Um, I, I saw a lot of people picking apart the, you know, hey, you get World Showcase, and yeah, I forget the three other worlds they world, changed it world into. nature world, world discovery na- and world celebration which was is really interesting because epcot really did have four areas you know they told you it was future world and they told you it was world showcase there were two areas we've talked about this multiple times the area of future world east was hard landscaped and was about discovery so that makes sense it is still that way today it's that's the way it was when it was the beginning what is going to be world nature was seas and land and imagination, soft science, and and totally, totally makes sense. Um, and I get the reason for pulling the celebration portion of it in. It's a little, I think, a little bit about going back to Epcot's roots of little of the celebration. It's also to hopefully relieve some of the crowds around World Showcase as well. Um, so I have no no issue with that rebranding. I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic that it's going to be challenging. Um, it's going to be a challenging task for them. Um, I think the one thing we have to re- remember as fans, you're not going to get the Epcot of old. You're going to have inklings of it. You're going to have some of those feelings come back. Um, but you're not going to see the big type attractions that you had in the past. I think our only hope for that is what they do with Spaceship Earth and possibly a reimagination of, of imagination, which would be great. But I'm not afraid of the IP. It's time to move on. Um, but I think they can do some things that pay some respect to the old stuff as well. I don't think anybody else has anything to add to that. So we'll move on to a question from the one and only Mr. K. And he wants to know, when was swimming in Seven Seas Lagoon officially prohibited? And this answer blows a lot of people's minds. The answer is 2001. Wow. That, yeah. <laughs> that That's, yeah. I was in my head, I was thinking like, 99 for some reason around river country i mean the areas became small well river country's 2001 it also stopped but uh yeah so so they they kept enclosing in more and more the swimming area because of the rental boats and other things that were out there uh and because it was used less i mean the 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 i think we've talked about this once or twice before the i think the preferences of resort guest was they preferred the pools especially as the pools got more elaborate and that was the era where they were building things like storm along bay and at the yacht and beach club and things like that and you just you know people wanted to go on cool water slides and things like that and not so much swim in the lagoon which was becoming darker and darker as the years went on and nature reclaimed a lot of what was originally a crystal clear thing but yeah believe it or not the the last of the swimming was in 2001 which crazy you know to us doesn't seem that long ago and to some of our listeners is before they were born so you know <laughs> the uh what's interesting though too is up until what a year ago you could still water ski out there which oh yeah mad i sammy never duvall. did but you could go out with sammy duvall off uh which which uh according to the the lore of the the amoeba you weren't churning up the soil underneath when you 
dipped in out <laughs> in the 50 foot water so um but yeah you that's, could still swim up until true. a year ago that's too true same of all uh our friend jeff i think it's jeff at tomorrow society we've been on his podcast right yeah I've, i know i've done it uh he asked, which lesser-known Imagineers yes. played a key role in the development of Walt Disney World and deserve a lot more attention? And we are not going to answer this question, Jeff. I'm going to tell you two reasons why. First, that's a great a topic for a future episode. And second, we all know Tom K. Morris is working on a magnum opus specifically to address that question. We know he's, he's working on a book to... Uh, cover so many forgotten people who contributed to the parks and to Walt Disney Imagineering. So uh, let's wait until his book comes out eventually and tackle that one then. This next one is also a short answer from C. Kundari. She asks, why did they ever change the original journey into imagination? <laughs> and the answer is because they're stupid. <laughs> then moving, yeah. moving on the, next the, question but, but i'll give you the the nickel answer is it was timing it was a victim of timing a 15 year old ride especially in the late 1990s was just an old ride it was a dated ride uh, a 25 year old ride or 30 year old ride at that point became a classic that maybe needed a couple of things to spruce it up and unfortunately, when they looked at Journey to Imagination, they just thought it was very much a relic of 1983 and that they should move on and uh, redo it and make it hip and take Figment out of it and, and start anew. And it was a terrible decision. So that's my answer. More on that in a future podcast. Yeah, yeah. We, that's the one biggie we haven't done yet. That's another biggie Journey for 2020. Imagination. Yes. 2020. Uh, somebody asked us what we think of the new attraction posters. Uh, I like them. The Epcot They're ones good. they showed. Yeah, it's yeah. looks great. Uh, somebody else asked about the Epcot transformation. Uh, what would you guys do with the Imagination Pavilion if you were in charge? Let's say a bulldozer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... I, I I mean, again, they're they're moving away. That's that's the way that's drawn. It's in the world celebration village, not the world nature. Uh, since it's <laughs> they had to put it somewhere, uh, but I have always believed that the the natural course for that particular pavilion would be for one of the technology companies. Uh, Apple would have been a natural partner for that because they were no, known for forward-thinking products. But really, one of the big tech companies, somebody out there, somebody who's not a crazy person, do, doing you know, uh, you know, I think Elon Musk <laughs> flying his flying his his car yeah, up into yeah. space and stuff. But somebody doing that kind of work, uh, working with the company to do uh, to do a new Imagination Pavilion would be well obviously with figment involved would be really cool as far as I'm concerned. But it also occurred to me since this answers both questions, Epcot transformation and imagination pavilion is, I mean, understand until the last 10 years of these big refurbs, all that stuff was driven by who the corporate sponsors were, who the partners were going to be like Disney couldn't do that or didn't want to do that stuff on their own. And now everything they're building uh, is stuff that they're just they're just laying the cash out themselves. Every one of those fourteen dollar tickets you go to sit in a chair and watch the Captain Marvel for the fourteenth time in the theater, uh, you're helping pay for that stuff. And so that 
kind of drives a difference in, I think, some of the content we get. And the thought process I had is when there was a corporate element, when there were outside people whose whims and whimsies had to be considered in addition to whatever Disney and their people were trying to do, I venture to say I think we got a better product uh, than we get now with just the internal stuff involved. Yeah, I, I think, too, with me, I'd like to see the Runaway Railway and what that technology has to offer and where they're going with it. And then I think that would be cool if they could integrate whatever they're teasing with that whole thing. The projections, the 3Ds without glasses, whatever it's going to be, I think that'd be a cool way to up the ante in imagination. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Well, gents, I don't have any more questions on my various lists. Do you have any questions? I do not, but I have some future answers. How's that? Oh, I like that. So, you know, I hinted to Journey into Imagination, you know, possibly on 2020. I also kind of want to tag 2020 as, um, thanks to how the year of video and film that is coming up. Um, I think it's something that we haven't talked about in a long you time. You opening up a video f- store, how? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's the concept. You can come in and there'll be these cassettes that have no movies way. on them inside. Yeah. And you can I, rent them and take them home do you and think, play them in your house. But you can't pick them up. They have to be behind the shelf. Somebody could steal it, right? So you're just going to have like... Well, what we do is we put the cases out. Oh. So yeah, then you bring the case to the counter. Then I put the cassette inside. Do, do you have to rewind the movie before you return it? <laughs> Only if you're kind. Yeah, then you would rewind. Can, but it, what I would probably have to do is for a, if you don't rewind it for a nominal fee, I um, would rewind it for you like a quarter, as to not like a quarter. yeah as to not inconvenience the next person who's going to rent the yeah. Because you guys remember when you used to see that the, you could rent the actual VCR? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yes. my parents, my parents did that for Indiana Jones when it first came out. They rented Indiana Jones the movie and the VCR so we could watch it at home. What a what a night! I mean, night. I mean, yeah, because oh, VCRs until the late '80s. I mean, they were a major yeah. investment, JT. Like you, yeah, yeah. You know, your parents were dropping a grand or fifteen hundred bucks. My parents still have theirs, and it I, still works. I, from when I, I was have a kid. I have it's one like at the tank. top of the I have one at the top of the closet here that I can dust off when necessary. But uh, I wonder if that of all the little hipster trends of things that have come back that we never thought would come back, like typewriters and things like they just like oh isn't this quaint oh, and LPs. <laughs> yeah i mean the records the records i get uh because you lose music as much as it is a sensory experience uh for us growing up it was a tactile experience too holding the record holding the album the visual experience of the of the covers and all i get the vinyl thing i mean i totally get it uh, also, because I hate paying for digital media, I despise paying for something that I don't own and can't hold in my hand. I don't want something that some rights lawyer someday, twenty years from now, can take away from me when Apple goes out of business or something, and it's like, oh, you don't have your music anymore. I, a, I love owning physical media, DVDs, movies, all that stuff. But that I get. Speaking of physical media, yeah. Todd and how. Yeah, yes. we're back here to the video <laughs> <So we're> store. <laughs> All right, so what do we have as we've, we've teased out? that? Uh, so here's have... the idea. We only have the biggest ones. The blockbusters, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> so, but you've got 100 copies, so yes. you're never out. Right, right. exactly. 
Now go back one step. Where were we in the conversation before that? Yes. Todd was saying. So year twenty twenty. We want to. We certainly will work to hit on imagination. But um, we we've really when we started out doing this podcast uh, five years ago, we we really pushed a lot of the films and talked about some of the historical aspects of the park. Um, we are entering a new phase here where um, we've been through a lot of the films and we continue to release those and we got some great things. But we're turning a corner into the the world of video. Um, and turning a quarter in, a corner in terms of uh, the, the eras that we talk about and that we enter into the term retro. Um, so with that, I think, uh, you know, it's going to be the year of the video. It's going to be year of new films. Hal's got an unbelievable cache that he has uh, given to us to restore, which majority are done. Um, we need to prep them for the web and get them out to you. So I, I think we can start to incorporate some of the things that we see in these videos and the discussions as well. So, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to, to, to going over there. So there's a lot of stuff. And subscribe to us on YouTube because you want to be alerted yes. when this stuff uploads. It's going to be right. there. We, we, we're going to start pushing it more. Um, yeah, check this out, Retro WW on YouTube. Now, with that said, it will be after the event, as, as Brian had indicated. You know, we'll, we'll be back on this episode, another episode of this after the event. Um, we are really focusing on, on producing the highest quality event we can. Um, so a lot of these videos and things we're talking about will, will come out later in the year and into next year. But We've staged really 50 podcasts and we'll stage 50 more, but <laughs> after that's, our event. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so with that, guys, uh, we will see everybody back after Retro Magic. Uh, so again, if or you... Or for the lucky of you, yeah, we'll see you at Retro Magic. That's right. Um, so we'll definitely be back after that, uh, probably in the early November time frame after we get back. So. Todd's really excited for you all to see the gift. Too. I am. I am. I, you know, I, I always like putting the gifts together. It's always fun. He's, he's like Michael produces. Jackson and Captain EO. <laughs> and a gift. Yes. He's got a blue, he's got a blue elephant yes. friend. What? I mean, we found the homing beacon. That's right. right. We, got, we got the map. Everybody thinks we're a joke in the academy. Not this time. <laughs> Just need the pow. But anyway, well, we thank everybody as always. Uh, if you can, give us a shout out in iTunes if possible. If, if you can, come join us on October 13th for Retro Magic. Just head over to retromagic.net. Tons of stuff. Great eats. Great people to meet. VIPs. Historic ballroom and more. And uh, we hope to see you there. Other than that, we will see you in early November. And with that, Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro WDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Retro WDW. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at retrowdw.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen, and on the web at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter, at LS1JT, on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonprofit, nonpartisan, tax exempt 501c3 organization, and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities. Mm-hmm.